Welcome to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Join us for an in-depth look at Iowa agriculture. Here's your host, Riley Smith. Well, we are finally wrapping up the National Association of Farm Broadcasters Convention down here in Kansas City. It was a great week for a lot of content. We look forward to getting that out to all of you soon. Welcome into this week's edition of Weekend Ag Matters. I'm Riley Smith. Russ Parker, Dustin Huffman, and Mark Magnuson will join us later on in the show. As for right now, let's start with a quick look at the news headlines. Iowa Cattlemen's Association, the leading grassroots organization supporting Iowa's beef cattle industry, is pleased to announce Brian Whaley as their new chief executive officer, effective December 4th. Whaley brings many years of experience leading successful teams, serving customers, and a deep-rooted passion for the cattle industry that will be invaluable to the future of the association. Whaley most recently worked as the Director of Field Operations North for Iowa State University Extension and Outreach. Before that, he was a Regional Extension Education Director for more than seven years. He has also worked with youth development in several roles with 4-H youth development through Iowa State University Extension and Outreach. Upon completing his first college degree, he was a classroom educator. Whaley holds a master's degree from Iowa State University in Agriculture Education and a Bachelor of Arts from Simpson College. In other news, Summit Carbon Solutions presented a request to Iowa regulators to build a $5.5 billion carbon capture pipeline. Local reports say Iowa regulators recently concluded a hearing on the subject. However, deciding whether the company should get a construction permit and eminent domain powers to get land for the pipeline could take many months. The Sierra Club's Iowa chapter opposes the project. Sierra's attorney says regulators likely won't issue a decision until March or April. That allows enough time needed to file legal documents and responses. Summit's pipeline would also run through South Dakota and into Minnesota and Nebraska. The company says the pipeline is critical to helping ethanol remain marketable as the nation seeks to lower its greenhouse gas emissions. Iowa residents are concerned about safety and property rights. Summit says it has agreements in place with 75% of the affected landowners, and the project will exceed federal safety standards. And of course, an update on the Farm Bill. Leaders of the House and Senate Ag Committees came to an agreement on extending the lifespan of the 2018 Farm Bill by one year. The agreement came with the release of a House Republican proposal funding USDA operations through January 19th. A 32-page continuing resolution contained 17 pages on Farm Bill extension and provided some funding for small-ticket programs that had run out, such as feral swine eradication. Dairy subsidies would be extended through December 31st of next year to avert a looming dairy cliff on January 1st. And that's all the time we have for news headlines this week. Check out the rest of our daily news stories on iowaagnet.com. We'll go ahead and kick it over to Russ Parker with his faith-based food for thought here on Weekend Ag Matters. This past weekend, we completed a project that's been long in the making. We put up the windmill. I secured the windmill about five years ago from a farmer in Essex, Iowa. And stamped on the windmill are the words Johnson and Freeman, Essex, Iowa. I'm sure there's some history there. After bringing it home, we discovered that the gears and the motor were worn out, so I purchased a rebuilt motor with modern bearings, as the old windmill had Babbitt-style bearings, which had worn out too. And it's always good to have great friends, and one of mine has a large boom truck and a skid loader with an auger and he graciously agreed to come down to the farm and help with the install. And after a day of drilling holes, putting pieces together, pouring cement, and putting oil in the gear box, voila, we had a 44-foot windmill spinning in the breeze. And someone asked me why I wanted a windmill, and there are several reasons. 
First, I like the history part of it. They remind me that the past is important and how we can sometimes use the past to predict the future. And I also like the potential it represents. Purposely, we set it up near the pond with the idea that maybe someday we could use it as an aerator. And finally, I like the idea of how the wind is involved. It's something that I can't see, but its result is something that I can see. As often as I can, I try to put myself in an environment where I'm reminded of my faith journey. Whether it's a sign in my office or a picture on the wall or the idea of a windmill. Having faith in the unseen wind that produces a spinning fan on the mill is something that reminds me of that journey. Somewhere in there, it also represents a transition that I've had in my life. Wanting to have faith by sight somehow, but then realizing that it doesn't work that way. John 3 tells us that the wind blows where it wishes. You can hear its sound, but you really don't know where the wind comes from or where it goes. And again in Acts 2, we read, and suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a strong wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house, and all were filled with the Holy Spirit. So every time I see a windmill, I'm reminded of the unseen power of the wind and of the Holy Spirit and the power it has to turn our hearts towards Christ. Food for thought, I hope. This is Russ Parker. Have a blessed day. Thanks, Russ. That's it for segment one on this week's episode. Coming up after this short break, Dustin talks with Rob Snyder of the Environmental Protection Agency. This is Weekend Ag Matters. November is full of weekly observances, which relate to the ag industry. There's National Hunger and Homeless Awareness Week, National Farm City Week, National Better Conservation Week, the Thanksgiving holiday, and so much more. Take the time to share the story of what your family farm is doing to be better stewards of the land and water. Also consider making a donation of food and time to help those who are less fortunate than yourselves. We are truly blessed. Do what you can to make an impact in the world around you, this month and always. This message is from your friends at the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's Riley Smith. Fairway and the Iowa Farm Bureau have partnered together to donate over 57,000 pounds of ground protein to Iowa food banks in response to Food Bank of Iowa's Meet the Need campaign. Had the chance to talk with Brent Johnson, Iowa Farm Bureau president at the Food Bank of Iowa to discuss this partnership with Fairway and just how exactly this donation came to be. Obviously a huge donation and it comes at a great time where the, the need for you know, high quality protein is greater than ever. So yeah. just walk us through a little bit, Brent, on this partnership you guys have with uh, Fairway and just uh, how this fits in with your guys' mission as well. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, we've we partnered with Fairway on a few different programs, but this one specifically, Meet the Need. Um, you know, it's it's a partnership with Fairway where, you know, the, there, there was a match to purchased meat and to be able to offset some of that percentage of purchased meat, donate it to the food banks of Iowa so that we can distribute high-quality protein across the entire state 
at a time when when high protein is really needed in in the food bank system it's a it's a it's a real shame that you know we we even have this conversation today about food insecurity and things but but here we are and so the Iowa Farm Bureau and our members are constantly looking for solutions and in this partnership with Fairway and the food banks of Iowa um, accomplishes that goal of, of taking care of, of our farm families, our small rural communities, and making sure that those food needs are met wherever we are in the state. And of course, just such a great opportunity. How did this partnership start with Fairway of getting that conversation started and then deciding that this donation was, uh, you know, the, the course of action that you guys wanted to take? Yeah. Well, we're, we're always brainstorming different ideas and, and our, our work with Fairway goes back a long ways. You know, it started very simply with, you know, the real meat campaign and, and you know, portraying many of our farm families across the state. You've probably seen some of them on some of the fairway trucks and, and just various different programs along the way. And, and when the food bank said that, you know, we have a, we have a shortage of, of meat, of protein, uh, we worked with fairway to come up with a solution. And, and here we are with the meet the need program. And then, you know, not only does it come at a time where the demand for that high quality meat is high, we're also approaching the holiday season where a lot of people who are potentially not going to be able to afford that holiday meal. And if they're able to go to a food bank and, you know, get that protein to maybe just get a little bit more enjoyment out of what can be a stressful time, you know, that's one of those things. It's why not, you know, why wouldn't you do it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the holiday season is, is a great way to, to showcase the high quality foods that are grown right here in this state. And so to, to be able to, to take some of our production that, that we're so good at in this state and you know, we're, we're known worldwide for the, the ability to grow high quality foods and to provide a little sense of comfort at, a, at the time of you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, all the holiday seasons. And to, to, to put those two pieces together I mean, this this campaign is it's timely and it's it's a perfect meet um, of that need. And then, uh, you know, just looking at think or thinking about last year with this donation, we had another meet the need donation from Fairway, and of course, it was a similar donation. Uh, but to be in here and see this donation physically, yeah. and of course, that's thanks to the new expansion they here at, uh, they have here at the food bank that they're able to hold this much uh, product now. But to see just how many boxes are stacked around us right now yeah. and and showing exactly how much product that is, I think really kind of puts in perspective just how big of a donation this is. Yeah, yeah it, it really does. You know, there's two trucks being unloaded right now into this into this very large warehouse and the and the distribution network that the food bank has across the, in all 99 counties is an important part of the aspect of distributing this high quality protein. Brent, thanks for taking the time to visit with us today. Anything else our listeners and viewers should know about when it comes to this donation or anything else you guys have coming up this holiday season? You know, the, the Iowa Farm Bureau always has so many programs going on that, that fits so many different parts of, of rural communities and, and farmers and agriculture's life. You know, go to iowafarmbureau.com. I'm really proud of our members across the entire state, 156,000 family members. And, you know, there's so many good stories to tell. Not only are we the top in production across so many different commodities, but we're doing it the right way. We also lead in conservation in so many different in, programs, you know, waterways, cover crops, all, there's so many good stories, not only in volume of production, but in process of production. And I, and I couldn't be prouder to be leading this organization.
Also had the chance to visit with Jeff Cook, the Vice President of Market Operations at Fairway, about their side of the donation and how exactly they came to that partnership with the Farm Bureau, as well as the decision to donate to the Food Bank of Iowa. Uh, Jeff, just talk us through this donation and uh, just kind of why you guys landed on the Food Bank of Iowa as that spot you wanted to donate to. Um, they've always been a great partner and we want to support the need of the of the families in the 55 communities that this, this food bank um, supports. Um, but it's always meaningful for us. Fairway, you know, we're a food company and we're certainly about fa uh, family. Fairway family is always a huge concept that we uh, speak very proudly of. Um, and, and for us to be able to give a little bit back, especially right before the holidays, um, just a great opportunity to partner with our friends at the Iowa Farm Bureau to make this donation happen today. And I just talked with Brent Johnson, and that was a big thing that we tried to touch on was that we are approaching the holiday season. There's going to be a lot of people who not only need that high-quality protein, but they're just looking for something to have for a meal during the holiday season. So in a time where maybe there might be extra stress from trying to find that meal, having this extra protein available for them to make a nice holiday meal, uh, you know, is obviously a very much a blessing for them. Yeah, absolutely. And to, and to have, like you said, a, a nutritious and warm meal, um, it, it's just a great opportunity um, for us to be able to give back to that. Um, and hopefully the, the small donation, 57,000 pounds, um, will stretch. We were just talking to the food bank. Um, they're going to be able to limit it, and they're hopefully this will take out about six weeks. So that gets us right through the holiday season. Um, so I know we're going to already start on next year um, to work with this campaign, and hopefully we can make it bigger and better than when, the one we have here today. Great to hear that uh, next year, uh, you know, those words being used already because you guys were here last year making the donation. And obviously, you know, you guys have been able to see as well just how far this donation reaches and, and how many people it can impact. Yeah, and, and, and not only this one, but with the Iowa Farm Bureau, this donation today will hit all 99 counties in the state of Iowa. So um, even, you know, warms the heart a little bit more, making sure that we can help those that just need a little lift or, like you said, a little support uh, going into the holiday season, that we can just be a little bit, a little part of that and hopefully make somebody's day a little bit better. Let's talk about how great it is to have that partnership with the Farm Bureau because, as you guys are probably very aware, you know you can't just do it all by yourself. You need to have that partnership, and everybody needs to work together uh, to fight, you know, food insecurity in the state. Yeah, and and, and they, we do a lot with them. Um, I know Brent mentioned the uh, Cram the Cab event that we do a lot of our stores at the local county level. Uh, any way we can do that, and food insecurity is big. And as as they stated earlier, that it's bigger now than it was even during the pandemic. So anytime we can get together and get the Fairway family together and, and put the efforts behind a donation like this, um, it's, it's, a, it's an awesome event. And, you know, speaking of those other food pantry events that you guys take care of, obviously the fight against food insecurity isn't just, you know, from one donation. It's ongoing battle all the time. Uh, what are some other events you guys have coming up, uh, you know, especially as we get further into the holiday season or just into next year that you guys are just looking forward to uh, being able to support with? Um, well, those are obviously the specific ones we talk. Um, you never know when a new opportunity comes up that we're approached all the time. And, um, you know, we try to share our resources and make it the best we can possible. Um, but like I said, this being year two and, and the growth that we've had this event alone, we're going to put a lot of focus on that. Um, this is the first year that we brought our friends from the Iowa Farm Bureau on. Um, so to see it improve from a year ago, we'll, we'll put a lot of focus on this one. And then, like I said, the crab, the uh, cram the cab events that they do. Um, a lot of our local stores are really getting behind that. So at the local county level, we, we continue to see that increase and we'll see more and more of those every year. And it's almost become a friendly competition amongst our stores on who can do better. So those are, those are probably the primary ones, um, but, but even to support at the local store and county level is really important to us. 
of course, that uh, competition is always good to see competition in a, you know an effort like this. So looking forward to seeing you know your guys' efforts continue those donations for uh, next year. And uh, Jeff, just thanks for taking the time to visit with us today. I appreciate it. Thank you. And that's it for segment two of this week's show. When we come back, Dustin talks with Iowa Ag Secretary Mike Nag. This is Weekend Ag Matters. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's Mark Magnuson. In segment number three of Weekend Ag Matters, I'm joined by Mike Steenhook, the executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mark Magnuson for the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. We are at NAFB 2023. Mike, I know there's been a lot to talk about when it comes to moving grain, moving soybeans, and let's start with the Mississippi River, which we know was a problem last year at this time. Where are we at right now in comparison to that point where we hit some extremely low levels, some record levels? Yeah, it continues to be a movie sequel that none of us want to watch. You know, with the low water conditions we had last year, historically low, we're seeing that repeat this year. We had a few weeks ago, we had some precipitation throughout the Midwest that resulted in water levels rebounding a bit. But subsequent to that, we've had really nice weather for in terms of farmers finishing their harvest. But we haven't had a lot of precipitation to help recharge the soils and then also provide some water for the Mississippi River. So as a result, we're seeing water levels go back down and we're actually at lower levels today than we were at the same period last year. Barge companies are having to respond by limiting the amount of freight that they're transporting per barge, uh, 25% or more, and they're also limiting the number of barges they're attaching together to form one single unit. So at a point when we need our supply chain to be operating at full throttle, unfortunately that's not occurring. So am I right as well that not only do we need the moisture for the river to become the levels to rise, but it also makes it wider and that creates another opportunity for more traffic, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, you've got the whole water depth issue, but then you also have the channel width issue. And so because you've, you've essentially gone from a four lane highway down to two lanes, uh, barge companies ha can't attach as many barges together to form one single unit and that's where really the economic power of barge transportation is derived from this ability to get a lot of freight in each barge but then attaching a bunch of them together to form one single unit that's what allows farmers in the middle of the United States far removed from our coastal regions to effectively compete on the international marketplace because we can we're so efficient via barge to get the product there unfortunately we're seeing that 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 the economics of barge actually diminish due to low water levels now back-to-back -back years with this problem is this the start of an unfortunate pattern well you know we, we obviously we we were seeing these weather induced events actually occur but you know I you know in 2019 it wasn't that long ago we had an abundance of water we had widespread flooding so you know that's one of the the realities is things can be they can be quite variable and uh, so it can the pendulum can certainly swing so you know obviously you know one of the things that we do recognize is that once you have drought conditions get established they are persistently stubborn. It takes a lot of precipitation to get us out of that. So we're obviously hoping for some abundance of moisture this winter and into the spring. 
Let's move to Central America where the Panama Canal is experiencing its own issues. And the reason for that, from what I understand, Mike, and I know all of this because Mike sends out a very helpful email with a lot of information from time to time, but it is a lock and dam system or a lock system and it is not at sea level. So you need to have the adequate moisture from the lake nearby. Yeah, so because Panama is a pretty narrow country, uh, you would think you could just build a, a sea level canal, which is essentially digging a trench and keep digging until the two oceans meet. But given the topography and how the, the country is quite mountainous, even though it's quite, it's quite small and narrow, you have that kind of elevation that requires you to actually, instead of having a sea level canal, you have a, a system based on locks, which is essentially you have three stair steps up to the high elevation, three stair steps down to get from one ocean to the next. And for it to operate, you have to have an abundance of fresh water that allows the, the, that stair step process, the lock process to actually occur. But you need to have sufficient amount of that fresh water in your reservoir. Uh, unfortunately, that's not occurring. So the, the water levels at that reservoir are about eight feet lower than it normally is. And so the, the Panama Canal Authority is having to respond in two ways. Number one is they're limiting the water depth in each for each transit, but that's mainly applying to the larger container vessels, uh, LNG vessels, not, not the dry bulk vessels that agriculture is a part of. But what does impact agriculture more so is having the limit to the number of transits on a daily basis. So now what's happening is you're having this line or queue that's amassing outside the Panama Canal. And time is money. You know, there's a daily charter rate to utilize these ocean vessels. So if you're all of a sudden having a longer wait, that's additional cost in the in the eventual delivered price to our customers. So it's again, it's one more example that drought can inhibit the ability to grow a crop. It can also inhibit the ability to transport that crop. So even though we might not necessarily think that the Panama Canal could affect the price, it obviously does because so for our Iowa farmers, I would think of this in uh, in this terms, Mike, does this make sense that it's just harder to move that grain through the canal? So the cost raises and that gets passed on down the chain and then eventually it just costs more to move that grain. Yeah, absolutely. You know, 600 million bushels of U.S. soybeans utilize the Panama Canal on, a, on an annual basis. So we're one of the big customers of, of the canal. And, you know, whenever you have a cost inserted into your transportation system, whether it's due to higher fuel costs or due to some kind of inefficiency like drought conditions with barge or the Panama Canal, a lock closure, whatever it may be, the question is, are those costs passed on to the customer? Are they absorbed by the shipper? Or are they passed on to the farmer in the form of a lower price at that point of sale or a more negative basis? And usually in agriculture, those costs are passed on to the farmer. Uh, because if, if, we, if we try to pass those costs on to the customer, the customer will say, today's a good day to buy more from Brazil. And so you're, you're really limited in your ability to, given the competitive nature of agricultural exports, you're limited in your ability to pass those costs on to the customer. So usually farmers are the ones that absorb that. So again, it's, it's one of those issues with, when in terms of infrastructure, that farmers, it's one of those contributing factors to farmer profitability. Mike, let's switch to a third topic here, and that is kind of in the northeast and the, around the Great Lakes, the St. Lawrence Seaway had an unfortunate uh, situation at the end of October where there was a strike and had to shut things down for a little bit of time. But I kind of picked up on your comments that it was a very quick resolution. It was just about a week or so, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, we're, we've, we've unfortunately had some of this, this tension between unions and management and without taking sides, but it, it's, it's sown more, you know, 
uncertainty into our supply chain. And the St. Lawrence Seaway Great Lakes system was an example of that. So you had a you had a, a strike for only a week. So fortunately, it was very short lived. But it just kind of reinforces that for supply chains to really work, you have to have predictability. You have to have reliability. And when you have that kind of uncertainty due to stoppages or strikes, it really calls that into question. Uh, fortunately, it's been short-lived, and so now we kind of resume our efforts to really promote the, the Great Lakes St. Lawrence Seaway. Uh, it will never be uh, comparable to the Mississippi Gulf or the Pacific Northwest in terms of what we're sending to the international marketplace. But I think really the key is how can we look at each of our launching points for our exports and increase their competitiveness. And the Great Lakes St. Lawrence Seaway is one of them. So we, you know, we recently made an investment, a $200,000 investment by the Soy Transportation Coalition to a, a, a facility that's expanding at the Port of Milwaukee so that they can export soybeans and soybean meal. And fortunately, they also received a $9.3 million grant from the U.S. Maritime Administration. So the, the company, the DeLong Company, is actually expanding their uh, facility at the Port of Milwaukee so they can accommodate soybeans. So it's a, it's a good example of farmers really putting their money where their mouth is to really provide tangible benefit to our industry. Mike, is there anything else you'd like to let our audience in Iowa know about when it comes to current transportation issues of grain or maybe some situations that are giving you some hope for the future? Yeah, you know, fortunately, we've kind of rebounded a bit from, you know, the real dire situation with our supply chain that was, you know, pr primarily during COVID. And so we, we've, we certainly have rebounded a bit from that, but, but certainly challenges remain. And it's just another reminder of the fact that in agriculture, you can get supply right, you can get demand right but you also have to get transportation right. Mike Steenhook joining us here at the NAFB Convention 2023. Mike, thanks so much for the time and have a great rest of your day. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to be with you. Thank you to Mike Steenhook, the executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. And that wraps up segment number three of this week's episode of Weekend Ag Matters. You can find this episode and all of our previous episodes of Weekend Ag Matters on the podcast page of our website at iowaagnet.com. For Russ Parker, Dustin Huffman, and Riley Smith, I'm Mark Magnuson. Thanks for listening and join us again next week for Weekend Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network.